Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S. and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks family. Everybody, uh, we are live with really the first real talk, real hawk talk episode of the 2021 season. The Seahawks uh, are facing the Colts in Indianapolis, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Sunday, and we're here to talk to you all about it and all the news uh, leading up to it. Welcome to all of the folks tuning in. Welcome to our patrons over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Join right now, get immediate access to the Slack channel. A uh, lot of good stuff going on there. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, and there's a ton of news to go through. Even before we get into talking about the Colts game, uh, a bunch of stuff's come up that we'll, we'll kind of cover. Before we get into it, uh, let's, let's bring in the crew uh, first. Let's bring in Nathan Ernst at Nathan E11 on Twitter. How are you doing, dude? Pretty good. How about you? You know, I've got like this major neck thing going on right now. So if you see me wincing in like agony, there's a 50-50 chance it's because of something you said or because my neck is hurting me. Can't, <laughs> got can't, it, got it. Okay. Commit to which one. <laughs> um uh dana uh, dana o'gorman at dana og on twitter you were just doing some super sleuthing on the web beforehand did you finish your your sleuthing uh ready I, for the show i did i have an interesting stat about home openers and the indianapolis colts that should make seahawks fans feel pretty good awesome so a a teaser for a uh a stat you will want to know about the seahawks and colts um 
coming up later in the show. And then Evan Hill at Evan Hill HB on Twitter. I want to welcome Evan in, but before I do, I uh, uh, got to tell a quick story, the a cool story, I think, about how the community is kind of coming together and how we're all kind of uh, silly um, on this show. Uh, so I got a, um, a message from one of our sponsors, John Hurlbutt from Altitude Homes. Uh, please go out and check them out. Uh, John's a great guy and uh, he donates like a thousand bucks every time somebody um, you know works with him on a, a either a house purchase or a house sale and, uh, and he donates at the Ben's fund. Well, He's been trying to get Nathan to acknowledge the greatness of Jason Myers for a little while. And he tried to send him a jersey and Nathan refused it. Uh, and so he reached out to me and he was like, uh, do you think that Nathan would be mad if I put in the this patron Slack channel that I'm going to donate money every time Jason Myers makes a kick this season? I'm like, no. And if he is, then, you know, screw Nathan. Do it anyway. Uh, and so he puts it in there. And sure enough, Nathan being the uh, sly dog he is, uh, countered. Uh, Nathan, wh what did you, what did you, uh, what was your counter offer um, to match? Yeah, so John is donating for every field goal make and every extra point make. And I am donating for every field goal miss and every uh, extra point miss. Uh, I had That's to up, a, I had to, to up, a, up a little bit because, you know, uh, as bad as Jason Myers is, he still makes more than 50%. So I had to kind of make, try to make it a little even, uh, but yeah. That's awesome. So, so now we've got a situation where every time Jason Myers makes a, a field goal or an extra point, charities, you know, Ben's fund's going to benefit. And every time he misses an extra point or field goal, Ben's fund's going to miss. But there was one other scenario that was not yet covered that is very near and dear to all of our hearts, but maybe most of all, Evan. So Evan, what did you put on Twitter last night? Yeah. So I think to start this off, I just always, I believe in always competing and being super physical in, a, in an aggressive football team. Um, I, that, those are the ideals I hold myself to. And, you know, as I was thinking about this upcoming season, I remembered how absolutely cowardly we were on fourth down last year. And I'd like that to change. I'd like us to go for it more on fourth and short. So I said, um, I didn't realize that this would blow up like it did, but like basically every time Pete chooses to go for it on fourth and short and fourth and fourth and short is defined as three yards or less. I think that's fourth reasonable. And short, just fourth and short. Why don't you just go for it on fourth? Why are you limiting it? No, we're not doing like fourth and no, we're, we're encouraging Pete Carroll to do the good things. We're incentivizing him. We're bullying him. That's the route we're taking. So it's but, but Evan, it's always good for, to go to for fourth down, like almost always, at least six yards. In an I think if it's an enemy territory, we should be encouraging him no matter what. I think you need to redo your thinking here. I don't know. I'm, I'm remaining consistent, guys. Um, okay. Three yards or less in enemy ter territory. I'll donate $10 to Ben's fund every single time we do it. And then a bunch of people started offering to match. And then Brian was like, uh, you have a lot of people offering to match. How are you going to track this? And I was like, oh, shit. Good point. <laughs> and we put together a quick Google form. And we've had like 75, 80 people um, already, already uh, sign up to match throughout the entire season. So what that means is every time the Seahawks go for it on fourth and short in enemy territory, 
we're talking 750, 800 bucks being uh, thrown to Ben's fund, which is awesome. Which and it should be a lot more. So, so on two, two fronts here, one, if you haven't already go to either Evan's timeline or my timeline, I don't know if Dana and, and Nathan, also I just are... dropped it in the chat as well. Yeah. And it's in the chat uh, pod. If you're on YouTube, uh, the links there for the form sign up pretty straightforward and you know, we're not going to like be tracking it, but we will let everyone know we got your emails. We will let everyone know what the total is. So you guys can, can put your money in, but I love it. I'm going to be on, on Evan to see if we can change these rules. I thought it was just, if they were in enemy territory, this fourth and short thing, I think is really going to limit it, but we'll, we'll come back to that at the very least. It's a good, it's a very good opportunity to encourage behavior that we want to see out of our head coach. Do you um, think Pete Carroll supports families, you know, with children on the autism spectrum? I, I hope so. I, I, okay. I think he definitely does. He and his wife have always been fans of Ben's fund. Um, but uh, I will give you a couple quick numbers that, that I think are relevant here. Last year, Jason Myers kicked 13 field goals between 40 and 49 yards. He kicked seven field goals between 30 and 39 yards. So that's already 20 times that, you know, maybe the Seahawks should have gone for it, depending. Um, he kicked two field goals over 50 yards. I'm talking about just attempts. Um, he made every field goal he took. So, but um, this could have an interesting impact. I mean, maybe Jason Miles will end up with like five field goal attempts this year because of the pressure we're putting on Pete. That would be, that'd be something. Uh, so anyway, I love that. I love it. I love that it's going to make fourth down a little bit more fun. And even when something painful happens, we'll have a reason to be happy about it. So, uh, all right. Uh, let's, let's talk news. Seahawks news, Colts news, NFL news uh, really quickly. News that folks need to know. Uh, I think tops on the list is, is Dwayne Brown uh, has reported back to the Seahawks and uh, has also you know, got a bit of a contract adjustment. So Evan, if you wouldn't mind, can you explain to folks what, what your understanding is of what happened with Dwayne Brown's contract situation? Yeah. So under his previous deal, 2021 was the last year of the contract year. He had a $10 million base salary, completely unguaranteed. And um, I believe $1 million in uh, roster game per game roster bonuses. So $1 million divided by 17 games. Basically what they did is they changed how he's going to get that money and it guarantees that money up front. So they reduced his base salary, his 2021 $10 million base salary to 4 million. Okay. And they gave him a $7 million signing bonus. So he gets that $7 million signing bonus all the way up front right now, right this second. And he also gets a 2 million injury guarantee for 2022. What we thought this was initially was a void year on 2022, but it ends up being an actual year um, in the contract, but it's basically, there's some tricky language that we haven't seen yet, but basically it's going to force Seattle to cut him in 2022, regardless of if he plays well in 2021. And if he gets injured in 2021, then that 2022 $2 million injury guarantee will kick in. But basically this reduces his cap hit this year because it adds on that 2022 like dummy year. It's not a void year, but it's like a dummy year because he's never going to see it. And uh, the signing bonus gets prorated evenly across the two years. So 7 million divided by two, 3.5 million each year. Dwayne Brown's making the same amount of money 
he gets $7 million of it fully guaranteed upfront signing bonus today, and it reduces his cap hit by 3.5 million. Yeah. And if folks heard or didn't hear, I mean, Dwayne Brown was pretty transparent in his, his press conference today said he was hoping for more, wanted more of an extension. He says he's feeling great and wanted to play longer and um, but he has no bad blood toward the, the team or any of the players or anything like that. And always planned to be back. And they came to a compromise. The Seahawks had something in mind. He had something in mind. They both kind of met a little bit in the middle. Uh, it is confusing, I think, for all of us why the Seahawks wouldn't want to extend a guy that seems like one of the most important players on the roster, um, especially when he is in good shape and seems like he should be able to play at least a few more years. We'll see if this ends up being a short-sighted decision by the Seahawks, but you got to give the front office credit for finding a creative way. And this, by the way, is kind of something you had predicted, Evan. You talked about them adding a void year and that that could be a way to to guarantee some more money um, for him this year. So yeah, um, that was the contract part. Dana, the other part that came out that people seem to be making a big deal about is Dwayne Brown was asked repeatedly about Russell's comments during the off season uh, regarding getting hit um, too much. And he said something along the lines of, you know, you never want to hear that. And, you know, it's something you take pride in as a, as a, offensive lineman and he said he talked to Russ and that they're all good I've got my take on it but I'm curious if you have uh you have a point of view on what you heard from Dwayne Brown well if you listen to the entire interview like if you watch the entire presser it's it was nothing but positive from my opinion I mean it just it just felt good it felt you know it was nice to have him back you knew where he was coming from contract wise but you know you, you understood he wanted more we we got all that then when it came to this there have been people who have taken these little snippets out of the conversation. And in my opinion, and in a lot of people's opinion, it, it almost looked like if you were just take a few little snippets out of it, it looks like he's kind of, you know, he, he's beaten on Russ a little bit. That's not the impression if you listen to the entire thing. He no. comes back and praises him, says that's why he's back, all of those good things. Um, but, you know, there, th- my... I think that if you took some of the words where he says, you know, it's not all in the offensive line, that's the big one. He says, you know, you can't put all the blame on us. Well, no, we all know that. We all know that Russell's on the ball too damn long. We all know that, you know, he, you know, should throw it away half the time. I don't know how many times we're all screaming at the TV, throw the ball away, you know? And so we get that. But there were some out there that kind of twisted it. It's like, oh, I guess it's not water under the bridge. And I was like, I just didn't dig that. Like, I was like, why? It was kind of like when I made a couple of other reporters mad the other day when I'm like, quit stirring this damn pot. It just feels like we're trying to make something out of nothing. Was it a big deal at the time? Of course it was. It, it, we all knew it was a big deal. We were all worried, right? But is it still a big deal? No. People just need to move on. Yeah, Nathan, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, but but I mean, listening to the press conference, Dwayne Brown was there was no hint of him still being frustrated about what Russ had said. Uh, he talked about Russ standing on the table for him for this contract and for even bringing him to Seattle in the first place. He said Russell was the one that reached out to him. He didn't reach out to Russell. They talked through it. And mm-hmm. in fact, I kind of see it as a good thing. Like he is getting hit too much. If Russell's feeling that way, it's true. But if Dwayne Brown is also like helping him see like, hey, it's not just something that, you know, you have some control over how much you're getting hit. So let's let's be honest about that, too. That could be a real positive conversation between the two of them. I, I don't know that I see this as 
I think what I heard from reporters is that they got a lot of crap from fans saying, you guys are blowing this out of proportion. This is nothing. And I think the reporters felt like they got validation today that it was something. It might not have been a big something, but it was enough yeah. for them to have a conversation. Yeah, and I, I would think that um, when Russ and Dwayne probably talked about it, about what Russ said, that that's a pretty easy conversation for us. Like, not you, Dwayne. You're the, you're the good one, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you're not the problem. So, like, and I'm sure, like, Dwayne Brown's pretty confident in, that, in his performance. So, you know, did it maybe hit some of the other linemen a little harder? I don't know, probably. Um, but uh, I do believe everyone, for now at least, that it's, it seems to all be water under the bridge. And everybody seems to be on the same page heading into the, the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so let's move on to other news. Oh, wait, can I share a, a fun Dwayne Brown fact? Yes, please. I don't know if this is fun to anyone else, but I was just realizing Dwayne Brown played under Tom Cable in Seattle. I don't know if that's weird to anybody else because it feels like Tom Cable has been gone for like a decade and it feels it's still <laughs> Dwayne Brown still feels fresh to me. Like he just got here. They just traded for him. Was but it 2017? Yeah, 2017. Cable's mm-hmm. last year. They they traded for him that year. So, anyways, I thought that was bizarre. Yeah, I think that is a little bizarre. It's also but I think it's a conversation at some point down the road of where he fits in the rank of, of Seahawks left tackles all time. Yep. There's not a lot that I'd put ahead of him, even in the short time he's been here. So I definitely put him ahead of Russell Okung, who the team won a Super Bowl with. So, um, but yeah, a quick side note. Yeah. Do you guys remember where you were when the Tom Cable news dropped? No. This is this was one of those life events for me in my short life on this earth. It's like it's like you know, I don't mean to go tragic, but there's like traumatic events in history or really happy things that happen to people. And people always remember where they were. I remember exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing, what my brain was thinking and my reaction over the next like week. That's how pivotal that moment was. Do you guys not feel the same way? I don't. I don't think I was doing something interesting enough. (laughs) I, I feel like that whole week I was just refreshing Twitter, like every three minutes to see if Bevel or Cable had gotten fired yet. Uh, yeah, it was it was an important moment for sure, but I yeah, not one that I really think about very often. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I'm just of, a psycho. Speaking <laughs> of Cable, who who uh, went to the Raiders, um, we have some news of other folks going to Las Vegas, and of course, we are talking about Joe Fan, uh, friend of the show. Joe Fan has uh, got a new gig at. The Win. I'm doing a podcast uh, for, I think it's called Bet Win, W-Y-N-N. Joe's moving to Vegas. He's already there as far as I know. So just want to give him a quick shout and wish him all the best. He's he's obviously someone we spent a lot of time with on the show and going to miss him on the Seahawks beat. Uh, But the other news, of course, is KJ Wright. So after a lot of speculation, it got finalized this week that KJ Wright is signing with the Raiders and is on that team, uh, which in a roundabout way led to a uh, former three round pick Tanner Muse signing with the Seahawks practice squad, a former Raider linebacker. So any, anyone feel like maybe Dana, any thoughts on, you know, KJ's departure and, and uh, what he has meant to you um, on the team? You know, I just always think of him and Bobby as the bookends, right? Like they go together, they're peanut butter and jelly. And I know that sounds so damn cheesy, but it's just true. 
And I think we could feel that a little bit this week with Bobby's comments today, you know, telling me look ugly and black and silver, you know, I'll, like you could just tell they're just, there's just this great brotherhood between them. But I will say this, I'm glad he's playing. I'm glad it wasn't after an injury mid season, someone decided to pick him up. Like I'm glad that he's actually, you know, starting with the team. Um, I'm very happy for him, but I will say I'm very impressed the way the Seahawks handled his going to the Raiders, you know, they were on social media talking about how important he was to the team. They put together a great highlight film. And, you know, some people might not think that matters because it's like, oh, well, you know, they didn't pay him. No, because he wanted to start and he was not going to start anymore for Seattle. And I think that uh, this was probably the best thing for KJ in order to be able to get him what he wanted in football. Um, but I thought Seattle handled it really well. You can tell this is an amicable separation and that, you know, he will be, you know, forever a Seahawk. And people say that a lot, you know, I saw a lot of people saying that to Luke Wilson, you know, when he retired and I love Luke Wilson, but, you know, I just think it's very true when it comes to KJ. He was a very important piece to this really special part of Seahawks football. Yeah, Evan, anything, Evan or Nathan, any thoughts you want to share uh, on the KJ Wright news? I just think for the, the, he, he got about, I think in terms of contract, like what, let me put it this way. I actually think he got a little bit more than I was expecting. I was expecting near league minimum to be quite honest with you. And I know, I know, I know he was amazing last year, but the market bears what the market bears. So happy he got what he got from the Raiders and, you know, it's going to be sad to see him play there, but it's better than, you know, the Niners or something like that. So. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was a bummer to watch KJ just dangle out there for so long. And mm-hmm. I mean, he really is, he, he's not like one of the five or six best players probably on that Super Bowl team, but he's somehow very um, iconic of the Seahawks teams. Um so hopefully it's a cool situation for him. You know, I, I'm not going to pretend like I know a ton about the Raiders scheme. And so, you know, KJ definitely has some limitations and we'll see how it works out for him. But Oakland's a team that has some hopes and probably wants to make the playoffs. I think all their fans are expecting that. And he has a chance to step in there. And if he can continue to be as productive and, you know, just rock solid as he's been here forever, um, he could have a cool impact on the team. So hopefully it uh, is a good experience for him. Yeah, KJ's KJ's been a winner and a starter from the very first snap. Uh, he's he's been a, a Seahawk. I think all fans can be proud of, both on the field and off. And I think everybody just wishes him the best. Uh, it, mm-hmm. It's it feels like maybe maybe it's just me, but it feels like there's been a pretty strong headwind for NFL veterans this offseason. Like guys that seem like they have something left in the tank that are getting like no nibbles. Um, or at least signing really, really late. Uh, so KJ played, he was arguably the best player on the defense last year for the Seahawks mm-hmm. and played at a very high level. He said he wanted to go to Dallas. Gus Bradley was there. Oh no, sorry, Dan Quinn was there and nothing happened. And thought I'd come back to the Seahawks, nothing happened. He, he ends up with the Raiders. And I hope, you know, I hope he plays really well. I hope he does well. Uh, and I'm just glad, glad we got the chance to watch him play for as long as we did. So, uh, okay, let's move on to players that are on the Seahawks. A couple more bits of news, and then we'll get right into the, the Colts stuff. So there was a lot of um, roster machinations. Uh, with we want to run run through it all real quick? I got it up here. Yeah, please, please do. Please do. Okay, good, because I, yeah, I, I've been – 
paying attention, but even I was confused by everything that has happened the last week. So mm-hmm. let's rewind back to the, the 31st roster cut down. Seattle cut down all the way to 52 um, and then traded for, and then, you know, uh, made that Sydney Jones trade official. So they brought in Sydney Jones. Um, the next day they released Phil Haynes and Sean Mannion from the uh, roster. Um, and they claimed Dakota Shepley and Nigel Warrior off waivers. Um, the next day, they placed Cedric Agbuehi on IR and signed Jake uh, Luton. Um, the next day, they traded Akella Weatherspoon to Pittsburgh for a fifth round, a fifth round pick. Uh, and then a couple days later, with that vacant spot, they signed Tyler Mabry off the practice squad. The next day, which was yesterday, they placed Trey Brown, Colby Parkinson, and Nigel Warrior on IR. Each of the players, I believe, are eligible to come back onto the roster after just three weeks. Yep. Um, and then they signed Penny Hart and John Reed from the practice squad and signed Blesson Austin. I hope I said that right. Um, who was cut by the Jets. Uh, yeah, and then they had a couple practice squad uh, moves yesterday with Tanner Muse, like you mentioned. So there's a ton in there. Yep. And the first thing I've got to say is with the additions of Penny Hart, Tyler Mayberry, John Reed to the active roster, I got 52 out of 53, right? We really want to talk about it. So, I mean, Phil Haynes. That's really good. Phil Haynes should be on there. (laughs) Let's be honest, but he's not. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, But this is what I thought the roster should look like. So it wasn't a huge surprise. I thought the Akella Witherspoon news was interesting. And my take on, I'm curious what your guys' take on it. My take on it was Pete is not that good at playing his cards. Once he decides he's not into a player, he, the way he talks about players is always blowing. And when the topic of Witherspoon came up after the first preseason game, you could just tell he was not enamored with what he was seeing. His playtime got cut mm-hmm. down. He started getting pulled out of rotations. And so it wasn't a huge shock to me that they traded him. So maybe a bigger shock that they were able to get, uh, what is it, a fifth-round pick in 2023 for him? So that was interesting. Interesting that he went to Pittsburgh, so we're going to see him in a few weeks. Um but, you know, now the Seahawks cornerback room is, what is it? It's, it's Trey Flowers and DJ Reed, who we know. And I'm just talking about outside corners. We won't talk about Blair and Amadi inside. But then you've got three guys that weren't even on the roster like a week <laughs> ago, right? You got Sidney Jones. You got uh, Austin, who they just signed. You got John Reed, right? Am I missing anybody? Did you say Flowers? Yeah, Flowers and Reed are the starters. Oh, okay, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, what do you guys make, <laughs> Evan? I know you take on the Seahawks cornerback room. How are you feeling about what you're seeing? Uh, go on right now. It's bad, folks. It's a, uh, it's really bad. But, uh, but I think on the Witherspoon stuff, I'm, I'm glad they cut bait. Um, you know, as soon as they noticed something was off, I'm glad they got, you know, relatively decent compensation for it. Uh, what was it? 2023 fifth? Mm-hmm. Is that what it was? So two years out. Um, guys, <laughs> here's the thing. Like Witherspoon probably wasn't going to be good, but he was also a warm body with blood. 
and that has some value to it, doesn't it? So <laughs> I'm going to miss him for that fact alone. Uh, the group is concerning. <laughs> what else do you want me to say? It's Trey Flowers and DJ Reed. Like, I'm excited about DJ Reed taking a step. I'm excited about Trey Brown, you know, uh, in, in his potential emergence this year. But Trey Flowers being a starter, not great. This isn't good, guys. Well, I mean, Dana, I think it's I think it's fair to say that Akella Witherspoon has had has played at a higher level, not consistently, but he has reached a higher ceiling than any of the other cornerbacks that they added. Right. So when Akella Witherspoon's been at his best, he's been a very good cornerback. Problem is he's not often at his best. He's very inconsistent with how he plays. So now you've got Sidney Jones, who's got an injury issue. You, you hope he's okay. You hope he plays well. You hope he can stay healthy. You got Austin, who was a starter for the Jets for most of the last two years. Um, was a surprise that they cut him. Most fans were surprised they cut him. But mm-hmm. hasn't been a he – had, he had three good games to start his career and then has been pretty much dreadful since then. And then you've got uh, – well, Trey Brown's on the injured reserve. So then you've got John Reed who they picked up from Houston and was going to be cut. So that's pretty thin. That's pretty thin. So, so being the optimist of the group, what do you, what can you say that's positive about the Seahawks cornerback room? Dana's going to have to think really hard about this one. (laughs) You're not, you're not wrong. You got to dig, right? Um, I am excited to see DJ Reed another year in the system system i think that that'll be good i'm assuming witherspoon was just a dud or never fit or had i don't think he has a work ethic issue i've never heard that about him before so i don't i don't know anyway i, I don't know whatever um the words trey flowers starter it gets you right here right like it hurts a little <laughs> bit but but maybe maybe he's gotten a little better he wasn't terrible last year right like he had his moments Yep. But really the best thing you can say about this cornerback room is how much cap space we have. <laughs> so hopefully they'll use a little bit of it because either that or Trey Brown comes off of IR and is a rock star. I mean, seriously, what, what else do we have? Well, so yeah, go ahead, Evan. There just was one snippet. Um, I think that came out. I don't know if it came out from a press conference or a reporter that said basically Seattle was really frustrated with his – lack of physicality especially mm-hmm. at the line so like right off the press like being able to jam a receiver apparently he wasn't doing that or not up to what they expected which is obviously counterintuitive to what they want in a cornerback so um did you guys see that too or am i just making I things never up? saw it i never saw it it doesn't well, sound surprising. maybe I might be hallucinating. I don't know. Dana brought up a good point that I think we should talk about for a second, which is a lot of folks are guessing that their Seahawks have a move up their sleeves with all the cap space because they've got a decent amount of cap space and the Seahawks don't always carry this much cap space uh, through the season. So is there a move that they could make to to trade in for a more established cornerback that has an expensive contract? And Jeff... Simmons and I, who's not on the show tonight, but hello, Jeff. Hopefully you're listening. 
started talking about who are the expensive corners out there that might be available. And Jeff got started and he threw out a couple names. I think Bradley Roby was one of them. He actually got dealt today uh, mm -hmm. to the Saints. Uh, I don't know if we've heard compensation for that deal, but uh, that's, you know, that's one. There's some other names out there that obviously Stefan Gilmore is one that everyone's got their eye on. If the Patriots don't play well in the first few games, might he be more available via trade? Probably. And Bill Belichick's never been afraid to trade away really good players. Chandler Jones mm -hmm. is, is in the division. Uh, well, I wouldn't say Jimmy Garoppolo is a very good player, but he had a lot of value. So there's some others. I'm a little bit curious about Marshawn Lattimore. That could be a crazy, crazy thing, but he has actually not played that well the last two years. He's had some injury issues and he's on the last year of his deal. Depending on how the Saints play, possible that he might become available. There's also some availability potentially of some of the Broncos corners. So Nathan, I don't know, like, are you, are you thinking that the Seahawks are going to make a deal or, or do you feel like this is pretty much the cornerbacks that they're going to run with uh, through the season? I kind of think that this is what they're going to run with this year. Um, Don't I, say I, that. You're killing well, me, Nathan. Here's, here's the one thing. <sighs> I, I just wonder how important familiarity with the system will be. And if that is true, then I wonder if Sherman has a chance to come back, which I know will make you very happy, Dana. So, Thank uh, you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's something that they can do for a Gilmore or something like that. Um, but I, I, I just don't know that I think it's a likely thing that they're going to do. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they're going to need some help from teams not playing, like playing below their expectations for people to, to become available. I think there's a lot of teams, it's become obvious, that are looking for cornerbacks. The Steelers just traded for a Seahawks cornerback. I mean, we're all complaining about the cornerback room and a team actually traded us a fifth round pick for someone on our roster. So there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable with their corner. The 49ers signed Josh Norman last week. Like, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a really, and if you look through the top contracts for corners right now, there's a lot of contracts. I am so glad the Seahawks do not have, I mean, we talk about Shaquille Griffin, even as bad as the cornerback room is, I feel so much better that there's almost no money dedicated to it. Like if they all suck, then that's so that's too bad, but you know, at least you're not stuck with a, a mediocre player at a high, at a high value for, for a long time. So I don't know. I don't know. I, I think we're, we're going to have to wait and see on that one. Um, so, all right. I think we've kind of covered the major news points. Yep. So let's turn our attention to this game. Let's turn our attention to the game this week. And I, I want to talk about injuries pretty quick, but uh, I think, I think you almost have to lead off with that when you're talking about the Colts, right? It's a totally different team. So I'll set the stage with some of the things that have come and gone for the Colts, not just injuries. And then, uh, Evan, I'm going to come to you and 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 get some of your impressions. So, uh, folks, uh, the the Colts lost their starting cornerback in Philip Rivers and their starting left tackle of many years, Anthony Costanzo, uh, Costanzo, um, to retirement this past year. 
Uh, they also lost Justin Houston and Denico Autry, I think his name is, two of their best pass rushers. And they didn't really do a ton to address all those things, um, except they traded for Carson Wentz, who has familiarity with, with Frank Reich. And they, um, uh, they signed Eric Fisher, left tackle, was coming off from the Chiefs, coming off an Achilles injury. There's a bunch of injuries going on on the, on the Colts side. Wentz was declared ready for week one today. They're expecting him to play. Um, Eric Fisher is limited in practice, but there's it's kind of 50-50, it seems like, that he's going to play. Quentin Nelson, their all-pro guard, did not practice today, and it's questionable. They didn't say he's out for week one, um, but it, it's questionable whether he's going to make it. Uh, and then uh, Xavier Rhodes, one of their best cornerbacks, was out today. And there's real question about whether he's going to make it this week. Um, guys like Ryan Kelly, their center, who's very pretty good, was out with a COVID scare, but is back. So I think he, he should be good to go. Um, the only other thing that I'd call out is wide receiver Paris Campbell was also out. Doesn't sound like it's super serious, but their wide receiver room is thin, super thin. So in any event, with the T.Y. Hilton, I already said that T.Y. Hilton's already out for the, he's mm -hmm. already been declared out for this week. So that's a lot of names on what's not the most powerful offense. Evan, you know, what's your take on, on this Colts offense, given the, the uncertainty of who's going to play? Yeah, the, the story of Sunday's game for me is really their offensive line. Um, they have their third string left tackle starting for them. Quentin Nelson is obviously being rushed back from uh, foot surgery. And then Ryan Kelly, um, who I believe many Seahawks fans wanted um, back in the draft several years ago, missed a significant portion of training camp. Um, you know, if they were healthy across the offensive line, we're talking about one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, but they are not at all. Uh, Carson Wentz last year was one of the worst quarterbacks under pressure, he posted like a 47 passer rating and through six interceptions while under pressure last year. He is um, the, the story of Sunday's game to me is really or I guess the result is really the outcome is determined by that matchup. Seattle's pass rush and um, Indy's offensive line. If Carlos Dunlap, if those boys can get home to the quarterback. Seattle is going to have no problem absolutely thrashing the Colts, but I do think um, their health, particularly across the offensive line, is a huge storyline to watch. Yeah, Nathan, when you look at this offense, you know, this is Jonathan Taylor, you know, running back, good offensive line in general. I think a lot of weak spots in other places. Uh, I mean, what's a reasonable expectation for what to expect from this offense in the first week of the season. I mean, oh, uh, yeah, from the Colts offense. So from the CFC defense, I think it's not unreasonable to think that they could hold them to 10 or even fewer points. I mean, I think, you know, we went through predictions last time, and then, Brian, you had them as a top 10 defense. I think if that's true, like, they need to dominate this offense. Um, you know, shutouts aren't really a thing that happened anymore, but, you know, 10, 13 points, something like that. Um this offense, I don't think it should really feel like it gets going at any point if the Seahawks defense is what we want it to be. Um, 
Now, if they're getting torn up by Michael Pittman and like a Gimpy Paris Campbell or, uh, you know, then we can start to be really worried about the, t- the corner group that we've talked about a lot already. So, but I, I think coming out and looking dominant um, is a pretty fair expectation. Yeah, I think the offensive line's a big piece. Like they've been able to depend on a, one of the best offensive lines in football. Um, if Quentin Nelson is out, that's a big deal. If Eric Fisher plays on an Achilles that he injured last year, that feels really fast, you know? Um, so that might – sometimes getting injured players back is not the best thing if they've rushed too quickly and, and they're not the players they were. Even if he is, quote-unquote, healthy and available, I mean, we saw Will Disley last year. I mean, like, he wasn't the same player for, for last year coming off his injury. You never know when a player is just not – they're going to need a full year, even if they're playing, to, to kind of get back to form. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Nathan. I feel like this is a game that the Seahawks' defense should have a decided advantage. I don't know that other people are seeing it that way, but, Dana, when I look at this, I, I think the Seahawks realistically should be expecting to hold – the Colts under 17 points. Um, I think that that's a, a realistic thing and it, it might be less than that. Is there a number for you of if they, if they put up this kind of number, I'd be, un, I'd be like disappointed in the Seahawks defense. I think really, truly it has to be under 20, right? Like, cause it just doesn't make sense. Otherwise Carson Wentz hasn't been there to build too much rapport with his wide receivers or, you know, work through that. Um, and we all know Carson Wentz loves playing the Seahawks. You know how well he does. You know, I, I don't think he's never won't beat Russell Wilson. Um, and so I, I find, you know, that he, he struggles and throws interceptions against Seattle's defensive scheme. I mean, it's not like with the greatest defense, you know, over the last few seasons and they still managed to get the best of him. Um, and didn't Fisher, he tore his Achilles in the Super Bowl. Am I right? I thought it was pretty I late mean, in the year. Yeah. Yeah. It was either the AFC championship or the Super in the Bowl. Playoffs. Insane. That's insane to think that he would be back and be, you know, at full health and ready to go. I find, I find this Colts team fascinating, but mostly I find the press reaction to this game fascinating. And I'm not sure where they're getting all their takes. You know, there's a lot of predictors out there that have Seattle losing this game and, and losing it pretty seriously. And I'm wondering where. What Carson Wentz do they think is going to show up that's going to come and save this, this team? I, I'm baffled by it. Um, okay, can and we, so, can we no, talk go about ahead. that for a second? We'll, we'll come back to this, but mm-hmm. there's been a lot of discussion of it, like a lot of predictions of the Seahawks' demise this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you guys are seeing it that way or, or not, but it seems like the vast majority of takes are that the Seahawks are potentially in for a, a really bad year why do we think that is like what do you think what do you think is it is it that people are really looking at the Seahawks and they say yep I don't think these players are very good or is it that they're looking at other teams that they really do like because they've got fresh and shiny and the Seahawks feel old and not as interesting or or is it something else I mean Nathan do you have a point of view on this or I mean I think uh I think the offseason stuff has affected people's perception of the team. Um, uh, and I think that they're going too far the other direction reacting to that. Um, and I think that, you know, especially on the defense, if, if you're not 
you know, intimately familiar with Seattle and you're looking at Alton Robinson on the roster, like that's not a name that's going to do a lot for you or Rasheen Green, right? I mean, so, you know, uh, and maybe that's the right opinion. I mean, you know, we're getting a little carried away maybe with some preseason performances, although I think the Alton Robinson hype is pretty legit. Um, And that we just talked a ton about that, you know, terrible cornerback group. So um, I think it's just a combination of those things and just not people not having any kind of warm fuzzy about Seattle heading into this season. Yeah, I, I don't know, Evan. It, it makes me, because I'm contrarian, it makes me more bullish on the Seahawks, although I, I, I kind of see, I, I kind of see what's going on. I think it has more to do with people being bullish on the Rams and the 49ers and maybe a little bit the Cardinals than than it is about the the Seahawks um yeah I, 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 I think it... look at this team and I'm like they don't look like a terrible team to me like there's not the signs of a terrible team in Seattle Brian I think you're on the right trail though it's less about the Seahawks potentially taking a step back and I think more just a reflection of how competitive this division is you know one of the best divisions in football if not the best obviously the 49ers took Trey Lance and, you know, there's a lot of hope and, and potential there. Uh, the Rams should be good this year again, although they are kind of due some due for some regression on the defensive side of the ball. But I think it may just be a reflection, frankly, of the competitive competitiveness of the division and just the off season drama turmoil that, you know, Seattle went through. I, I don't think it's anything more than that. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely, I think it's, I think it's all of it. Right. But like um, everybody knows, I mean, Seahawks fans hate this cornerback group, so that's no big deal, but like PFF and came out and said that their defensive line was the 29th worst defensive line unit in the league. And, and that to me is just like, I mean, to me, it's baffling. I don't agree with it. I, I don't know that they're even an above average group, but they're not that bad, but like people are looking at this team and saying the players are bad. The talent is bad. Right. And I think if you look at the defense and say, hey, the defense is bad, which is pretty fair. Uh, and then you look at like, wow, Russell Wilson really sucked last year, in the last year. Like there is a recipe here for disaster, but I don't know. I, I think a lot of it's pretty overblown. If this team doesn't win 10 games, it'd be pretty surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's, let's talk. Yeah, go ahead, Dana. I, I just want to add one thing. I don't know that that's all of it too. I, 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 I get what everyone is saying. But I, like I said, I have a wide variety of fan bases on my Twitter. And I saw this argument back and forth between two people, San Francisco fan, Seahawks fan. And the guy says, who, who the hell do you have? You have some guy named Puna on your team. Who the hell is that? Well, we know who Puna Ford is. The rest of the league still doesn't, which surprises me. You know, the guys who really get analytical, you know, get that. So I think that that's part of it. There's no name recognition there. There were no huge splashes in free agency. They only had three draft picks, right? And so to me, it's the lazy man's way to look at this team. They only have, they only have Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Jamal Adams. That's it. You don't even hear anyone talk about Bobby Wagner anymore. And I find that fascinating. This division is tough. And we, the, everyone's going to show up. They're going to beat the everyone crap out of each other, all four teams in every game, right? But that doesn't make Seattle go zero and eight and end up with only five wins in the season. That's asinine. And I don't understand where that is coming from other than what you said, Brian, which I think hit it on the head. 
they're boring this year. There was nothing there to catch anyone's eye. That The drama that happened was with Russ. It's over now. Well, Jamal Adams got paid. Well, Dwayne Brown showed up. Well, we're just Seahawks. You know what I mean? So I find that it's interesting that the name recognition isn't there. We, you know, and they always bring up, well, they don't have the LOB anymore. Right. For years now, people like they're gone. And so I think that it's a lazy man's way of looking at football. It's like, oh, well, Russell Wilson can't save that team forever. I, I saw that exact quote. And it's like, actually, much like Aaron Rodgers, he probably could. So you need to give some respect on that. It drives me crazy. It also drives me as much crazy as that everyone assumes San Francisco is going to be fantastic when they don't even have a quarterback. And so it's just, it's just a lazy way to look at it. I think people need to look a little deeper. Would you be surprised if San Francisco lost or won less than seven games this year? Um, with no Jimmy major injuries. Oh, with no major injuries. So Garoppolo playing the whole season or switching sure. to Lance at some point. Let's say Jimmy Garoppolo G plays playing the whole year. season. That would surprise me because I think that he can win them seven or eight games. Um, if they switch to Lance, just because Jimmy plays terrible and the fans demand it at some point, and he struggles, then no, I wouldn't be surprised if they got less than I seven. thought the faithful were faithful to Jimmy G. Listen, don't pull me into your guys' lives you have with them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have a decent rapport with the Niner gang. <laughs> oh my God. That's not a thing to be proud of, Dana. That's not hey, listen, thing. I have to cover the whole division. Come on. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, let's not turn it into 49er talk, but yeah, no. it's just, uh, it is interesting. There's a lot of people that are not looking for. Now, to me, that means that when they do win and win a lot, that there should be executive of the year and coach of the year things that come up and MVP stuff that comes up, but I'm guessing everyone will forget what they said at the beginning of the year. And uh, we'll have to have some um, Josh Cashman videos to uh, capture all of this hate and shove it back in their faces. Um, it'll, it'll feel sweet that way. Let's be fair though. Like uh, there, there have been a bunch of things that came out recently too. I think it was ESPN or somebody did a projection of like all the likelihood all the team's likelihood of winning uh, or getting to the Super Bowl or winning the Super Bowl from the NFC. And like, I think Seattle with third or fourth. Um, I know in a lot of, uh, I think Mike Sando did a, a, a poll of executives around the league and Seattle was tied with the Rams for the third best team in the NFC. So, you know, we, we may be uh, a little sensitive to the criticism of, of the Seahawks. There's a lot of positive out there too. Yeah, I wouldn't. There, there is positive, but I, I think it's being outweighed by negative, in, in at least where I'm seeing. Um, Can I flip you guys one more question back yeah. to the Colts, though? Or is anyone else more optimistic about Seattle's chances this Sunday playing Carson Wentz instead of Jacob Eason? <laughs> no, really? No, I know where you're coming from, but no, I, I, I would, you know, I, think I legitimately that. feel that way. Like, I think Why? there's a much higher, first of all, the track record historically. Carson Wentz just sucks against the Seahawks for whatever reason. Number two, if Jacob Eason is starting, who is far worse than Carson Wentz? I don't care how bad Carson Wentz is. Jacob Eason is god-awful. That means the Seahawks only have more room, more potential to downplay play down to their opponent. With Carson Wentz, there's less of a potential. So, 
I think we might be forgetting a little bit though of how close those Wentz games were. Like, I, I think Seattle like was in control of those games the whole time, but didn't they win that playoff game like seventeen ten? Yes, but Carson Wentz struggled the entire time. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, He's intercepted Pete, three times or something. Pete has a Pete seems very happy to take the foot off the gas against Carson Wentz. I don't think there's he's instilling a lot of fear in Pete either. Yeah, and I think you got to acknowledge that the offensive line in Philly was awful. It was really bad, and his his skill players were awful. Like Miles Sanders was like their big play guy. He's just not that good. Their receivers were terrible. So. Are we sure this receiver group is better though? Like I that's what I was just gonna say. I love that's Michael Pittman, but I don't know. But who else is there? So they got Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, Mo Ali Cox, their tight end, and I think Zach Pascal has caught a ball or two. So they got Jack Doyle. <laughs> yeah, they got Jack Doyle. See, yeah. he's got a football in his life. <laughs> got it's, it. It's bad. No, I agree. But the offensive line, again, if Quentin Nelson's playing is significantly better than and Jonathan Taylor should be I think significantly better than than what he's had as well so there's some things that are better but I agree with you Nathan like this offense is not this is not a scary offense and if you get if you get manhandled by this offense if Wentz puts up like 250 plus on you and he's you know got a bunch of TD passes and they're running on you that would really be bad news that would be really bad news. I think, I think the Seahawks should be looking for turnovers in this game. I think Seahawks should get at least a couple of turnovers in this game, and I think that they should, they should be stingy. I, I, that's what I'm expecting. Um, and if they're not, it's gonna be, it's gonna be, you know, I'm not gonna panic after the first game, but it will be bad because I think this is one of the more winnable games on the whole schedule for the Seahawks. I think this is this is it. This is it. I'm going to get my Quandary Diggs pick six in this game. I've been waiting for a year for it. But if anyone throws a pretty interception, it's Carson Wentz. And so I'm thinking it's possible this could be the game. Might have to make a call. I need it to happen. How fun would that be? He won the starting job over Blair? (laughs) Evan. I hope actually Marquis Blair, I think he's a guy that could have a big game. Heck yeah. I mean, nobody's nobody in the NFL is looking out for Marquis Blair. Hold um, up. Do we even know who's starting at nickel corner? I was gonna say, do we even know if he's gonna play? <laughs> like, like Marquise I am Blair? excited about Marquis Blair too, but who's our nickel corner? Is it Ugo or is it Marquise? Oh, Blair. Do we know that for sure? I don't we know, know that for sure. It, yeah, he said that in a press conference today, didn't he? What's getting a lot of talk is that they've mentioned that there's ways they could potentially get Amadi and Blair on the field at the same time. So that does not mean that all of a sudden Amadi is overtaking Blair. The depth chart has been pretty. Means that Jamal Adams is moving to linebacker and they have a safety spot they can fit one of those guys in. I guess. Yeah. I guess. Um, Jesus. But we'll see. We'll see. I mean, let's let's talk about the Seahawks offense and how it matches up with the Colts defense. Um, I think it's it's worth, again, talking about that the, the Colts lost two of their best pass rushers. They do have DeForest Buckner, you know, at nine and a half sacks on the interior. Seahawks fans know him well. Uh, they also have Darius Leonard, who's a fantastic linebacker and a big playmaker. Uh, and then they drafted, I think his name is Quiddy Pay, 
uh, I don't exactly know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but he played reasonably well in the preseason. He was a first round pick, um, but he's a rookie. Their pass rush is, is not super strong, but we do have Evan's favorite situation, uh, Dana. We have Kyle Fuller at center, it looks like. And if I'm the Colts, I'm putting DeForest Buckner trying to get him matched up with Fuller as often as possible. Uh, what's your – do you have a point of view on the Colts' defense? Me? Are we going to me first? Yes. Um. I think they're, they're, they're a solid group. Like, I mean, you can't, they're, they're not a group that, you know, we're not talking about 28th ranked Titans defense, you know, that we get to play in week two, that this is, this is a group that is better than that. Um, I don't think we, and may, this is just me. I actually was asked a, a fantasy question earlier today about Gerald Everett. Did I think Gerald Everett was going to do well and, and should they pick him up and blah, blah, blah. My answer was, I don't know because we have no idea truly what this offense looks like. Right. So we don't know what it looks like under Russell Wilson. We don't know how fast it's going to be. We don't know if they're going to go mid-range, long-range, if they're going to run. We, like, we are kind of – this game is going to introduce us to what hopefully we'll get to see just get better throughout the entire rest of the season. So, A, it's hard for fans, but B, it's also going to be hard on the Colts, right? Because they're not going to be 100% sure how to game plan for this because they haven't even seen the starters do it. And so I think that while this is a solid defense – I don't really know that we can know what to expect and no one can decide they understand that offense by the end of the first quarter. Cause you know, by the end of first quarter, if they're not doing super well, they'll be like, Oh, this is a disaster. Fire everybody, blah, blah, blah. Y- y- we're going to have to watch this whole game and see how it kind of plays out a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Evan, I, I really hope Xavier Rhodes doesn't play we would help the Seahawks, but also because his his backup is named Bo Pete. Oh, Bo Pete! I know Bo Pete Keys. That's yeah. a pretty sweet. He played name. for the Chiefs. Well, but that's no. like the kind of that's kind of the other matchup to watch out for, though, right? Is like is yeah. like who is who is guarding these Seattle receivers and weapons? Like who is guarding if Xavier Rhodes? Let's say he, let's say he plays. Okay. And they put them on DK Metcalf. They play a heavy zone defense. They did last year, at least under that DC. They really like, I forget his name, but um, he's actually pretty good. Um, who's covering Tyler Lockett? Who's covering D Eskridge? Who's covering Gerald Everett? Who's covering Chris Carson coming out of the backfield or yeah. like, they just don't have the defensive talent to match up against those guys. So I think that's another I, I wouldn't be surprised if Lockett and, and Metcalf both went over 100 yards on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, that's a good take. I'm going to read you guys the starting 11 defenders, assuming that there's not injuries. And I want you to tell me how honestly, how many of these names that you know. Okay. So to so pay attention, Al Quadine Muhammad at defensive end, DeForest Buckner, Grover Stewart as one of the other defensive tackles, Quiddy Pay. The other defensive end, Darius Leonard, Bobby Okariki, Zaire Franklin are the three linebackers, Rock Yasin, Kerry Willis, Justin Black, Julian Blackman, and Xavier Rhodes. Out of that 11, show me a, a fingers of how many you knew. I see four from Dana. Ooh, seven from. 
I know Bobby Keys. Can I add him in there? <laughs> I I knew like I knew like four of those names to be totally honest. Like it's yeah, and I think a lot of people are expecting that to be a better defensive group than the Seahawks. And I, I don't know that I'd I don't know that I'd go there. So I think you're right. If you're if you're a Seahawks fan, Evan, I'm seeing it on Colts Twitter. They're all losing their shit over Xavier Rhodes' injury because they're like, if he's not out there, who's going to go against Metcalf? Metcalf is the guy on this team more than anyone else on defense or on offense. That is who opponents are like, how the hell do we deal with him? I think one of the absolute keys to this season is that the Seahawks established that you cannot stop him and that they were not going to like let people take him away. Like if they can establish DK Metcalf game in and game out as a guy that is matchup proof, a ton of the rest of the offense should open up. Tyler Lockett's life should be so much easier. D Eskridge, Chris Carson, like everybody else's life should be easier if they can make sure that DK is the unbeatable force that he should be. So this is an interesting interesting first week for that opportunity do you think um, this is the year that nathan finally admits he was wrong about dk metcalf i wasn't wrong about dk metcalf yeah. i'm with you i'm with you evan i i hope so i i'm not optimistic that will ever i wasn't happen. wrong what did i say that was wrong has anybody bought his jersey yet dk metcalf nobody my son does. i don't buy jerseys should I buy it and potentially ruin our season? No, please don't. <laughs> As someone who also you suffers even speak from that. an injury like DK Metcalf, I, I don't want to. I don't want him to re-injure his neck. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. So, I mean, what are your expectations? We'll, we'll ask a, a little bit of expectations of the Seahawks offense in this game, and then we'll get to predictions and, and start wrapping up here. But we'll do Patreon questions. Oh, Patreon questions. Yes, we'll go to those in just just a second. Um, what, how many points are you looking for the Seahawks to score in this game, guys? Um, you know, what's an acceptable number that you would feel like? Like what would make you feel encouraged? Yeah. I think I'd like to see 27 points. Hmm? I think they can score 27. They should score 27. Dana? Yeah, 27 is actually what I was thinking too, um, even up to 30. I think that, but at 27, even if they can keep the Colts like at like 12 to 17, if they can score 24 to 27, being the first game, you know, get shake off that rust, the first look at this offense, I think I'd be pretty happy with that. Nathan, how about you? Yeah, I don't think they need to even score 30. I think I'm right there, 24 to 27, mm-hmm. assuming the defense holds the offense to something mm-hmm. like I think they will, because Pete likes to sandbag. They like to save, they like to, to save information and all that. They don't want to put too much out there. I can see that definitely being the case in this game. So I don't think we're going to see them just explode out of the gates. So everyone should just chill a little bit if the Waldron offense doesn't like immediately score 40 points right out the gate. Um, I imagine they're going to coast a little bit in this one. What happens if they do? Then it's if they if twenty twenty all over again, and and Waldron's going to be fired by the end of the year, just like Scotty. <laughs> so there's nothing they could do in this game that on offense you'd be like, oh shit, like this actually might be the year the Seahawks offense maximizes their talent. No, I mean I think that they, if they look great, it'd be good. I I imagine that's not going to spell something good for the defense if they're if they're doing that. But uh, uh, yeah, no, I mean I think if they come out and play really well against this this defense, which 
you know, was top 10 last year. I don't know what it'll be this year. Probably, probably a pretty good one. So if they can, and being on the road and everything too. So they have a chance to really show that they can be formidable. All right, let's do Patreon questions. And then we'll wrap up with our predictions. Okay. Uh, I really like this question from Braxton. Um, so we've talked a ton about how bad this cornerback group is. And Braxton says, is the cornerback position shuffling this close to start uh, to the start uh, of the season more of an indictment on Schneider's ability to evaluate DB talent or Kara's ability uh, to develop DB talent? I'm not going to like limit you guys. I kind of want to get everyone's opinion on this, but we haven't talked a ton about how we got here. How did it get so bad kind of quickly? Like even last year with Quill, they got bailed out a little bit with the, the DJ Reed signing. So how did, how did we get here, Brian? We're talking about the cornerback room. Sorry, I was yeah, corner. Yeah, <laughs> is is this a failure of Schneider's ability to evaluate DB talent, Carol's ability to develop, or or something, or else, or some combination? I think it's a combination of things. One, I think that they they've had a brain drain in the secondary. Even Marquan Marquan Manuel, who was uh, a coach for a long time, has went with Dan Quinn, and I think he was their. Be- I think he's a better secondary coach than than Chris Richard was personally, but Chris Richard obviously left as well. So I think they've lost some of the. And then Richard Sherman was one of the best at tutoring and, and helping the the young players along. So I think they've lost that. I also think you you have to look at their draft picks in the secondary and just be like, oof, like, oof, it, they're rough. And specifically the 2017 draft, like that was cornerback rich. And they waited till the third round to pick a cornerback. Um, and both the safeties they picked were just awful. So I think the majority of it goes on personnel. But I think people misunderstand how much personnel works in conjunction with the position coaches to help pick players and set their boards based on who coaches like. There were guys that the coaches moved off those boards that probably were really good players. So um I don't think it's either one, but that's that's kind of my take, uh, unfortunately, on how they got here. Dana or Evan, do you have a, a thought on that one? Yeah, no, I just just that I agree, but I, I think that the one other aspect of this is we need to remember how spoiled Seattle was in the secondary for so long. And there were so many other holes in this team that they just got prioritized. And then when they didn't do well filling those they reprioritize them. I think they just kept thinking the secondary is, is fine. The secondary is fine. And then it just bit them in the ass at that point. I think it just kind of, and, and now they're trying desperately to play catch up and, and hopefully they can, or look to next year to really kind of solidify those places. All right. Uh, next one is for you, Dana. So Dana special. Uh, Amani Waddell asks, uh, what's your dark horse position group? that's most likely to fail despite appearing solid. You got to go negative here. Of all the groups that look pretty good, which one do you think is a sneaky bet to actually be bad? God, I hate to say it, but the running back group. Uh, Chris Carson's fabulous. A group that mattered, but okay, go ahead. Such an ass. No, listen, I think that's my only, I, I worry. I love Chris Carson. I don't want to internet because I like Chris Carson. I like where those videos. He looks like he's in great shape and everything is great, but we've seen that position just fall apart so many times due to injury. Um, so right now it's supposed to be really good and really solid and everyone looks good. 
Um, I can see that just coming back to hurt us a little bit. Cause honestly, the other ones, the other position groups are either stupid good, like our wide receivers or they're pretty good. You know, I, have, uh, I have, I have a similar one. It could be tight end. Um, oh, maybe. We're all just kind of assuming that Gerald Everett's going to be good here. And I think he will be good. Uh, but maybe he's not. And maybe Will Disley isn't the same player. And maybe Colby Parkinson isn't, you know, a diamond in the rough that we've been hoping for. I, I think um, there's a lot of warranted, reasonable hope in the tight end group, and I share it. But I could also see that becoming a disaster real quickly. Uh, all right, Evan, next one's for you. Uh, Eric Hammond asks, uh, does the Titans releasing Bradley McDougald make the Jamal Adams trade look better or better? Uh, no, it's completely irrelevant. Anybody disagree with that? Uh, all right. Uh, okay. And then, um, uh, Jason asked any veteran targets to sign after week one. Uh, I'll just go real quick through everybody. If you could sign one of the freely available players out there, who would it be? Brian? Well, definitely Richard Sherman. Dana? Mm-hmm. Richard Sherman. Evan? What's CJ Procise doing these days? <laughs> I think you could probably pick him up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Richard Sherman for sure. So no Geno Atkins. He's the more likely, and I wouldn't be upset, but... No Golden Tate. Golden Tate is available, isn't he? Yep. And working out like crazy. What other former Seahawks players do you wish? Actually, of the lat... Okay, so from the Legion of Boom era, if you could pick one player from that team and put them on this year's year's squad. It's like 2010... Yeah, 2010 through 2015. Take a player, drop him on this year's squad. Which which player is it? Same answer. Richard Sherman. Yeah. If we could fix Cam Chancellor, I'd take him. But <laughs> Earl's not Earl's not in consideration there. I think I don't think that I don't think our safeties are that bad. I think they're right. actually really good. So mm-hmm. I think if you look at the cornerback room, getting at a First team all pro cornerback in there. Uh, Doug Baldwin's not in consideration. No, because the receivers are too good. The only one, the one that is really mm-hmm. up there with Sherman for me would be Bennett. Mm. Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of as well. Okay, sorry for the tangent. No. Um, okay, that's it for um, Patreon questions. Well, thanks for that. And if you haven't already, please take a second and click the thumbs up to click the like button on the, the show. It only takes a couple seconds, helps us out and helps you out. Um, brings more people to the community. And you can also click the subscribe and the bell icon to get notified when we go live. You never know what's going to happen with the Seahawks. We're always there to talk about it. But you can also join the community officially, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Get immediate access to the Slack channel. We've welcomed like five or six new folks in the past week. It's growing. It's hundreds of people. Really, really cool conversations going on in the Slack channel. A lot of good Seahawks talk. Good way to waste time during the day and keep the conversation going between shows. So head on over. Helps charity. Helps us build the show up. So uh, all good stuff. Okay. We're here. 
week one is upon us. The Seahawks are traveling to the Colts. We don't know everything. We don't know who's going to be healthy. We have some ideas, but we need some scores. And I'm going to start with you, Evan. Uh, what is your prediction in this game? And what is the score? I'm going to add one question on to what you asked. What is going to be your pregame meal for week one? Okay, so what are you eating going into the Seahawks game? I know it's a 10 a.m. game, 11 a.m. for some of you, uh, East Coast time even later. Um, score prediction, I am going – I'm going to go 30 to 10. I think Seattle blows this one wide open. And uh, at 10 a.m., I am hiring a buddy being paid with love to make a mean rack of ribs this Sunday. So that's, uh, that's the plan. You're going to have that at 10 a.m.? Hell yeah, buddy. You're it's so getting crazy. cold in Phoenix. We're approaching like 98 on Sunday. So, you know, it's wintertime. All right. Nathan, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna pick one that's gonna maybe make people mad. I think 23-17. I don't think it'll ever feel that close, uh, and I will be lucky if I get a Starbucks Nitro cold brew in me before this game starts. Who's gonna win? You just said the score. Uh, uh, Seahawks, obviously. Okay, Dana. I'm gonna say 27-13, and. Um... I think that those field goals will, will come toward the end of the game. Um, and then I live in Kansas City. Of course I'm having barbecue. And it, the game's at noon for me, so it's perfect. So. Love it. Um, Try being a little bit more optimistic about this team's chances this Sunday. Maybe you could have given the Seahawks an extra three points, Dana. Okay, fine. 30-13, if that makes you feel better. That's what I had. That's what I had. Oh. You can't take it. No, you said 10. Did I say 10? Yeah. Oh shit! My joke I didn't even land. Thirty to ten. <laughs> I All think right. twenty-seven, thirteen. I think that's what it'll be. Great start to the season for me. <laughs> I thought you said ten. Yeah. So this one's. I see the Seahawks is measurably better than the Colts. Like I, I look at it, and I also like the fact that they cannot be prepared for how the Seahawks are going to play on offense. They just don't know what they're going to look like. So I think there are a lot more unknowns. Yes, there's some unknowns with how Carson Wentz is going to be used by Frank Reich, but they've been together and Frank Reich was the coach there last year and they have some of the same players. So, and I don't think this is the team that can really exploit in a crazy kind of way, the Seahawks biggest weakness, which is the cornerback room. I don't think they have like unbeatable receivers that can't be covered. Now we all know that Seahawks have given up ton of stuff to no names before so who knows i can't i close my eyes and i think of jamal adams i think of marquise blair i think of wagner and brooks and i think about this defensive line and digs and i think there's gonna be a few turnovers in this game and they might even score cf's defense didn't score a single touchdown last year so i've got the seahawks winning this one um 27 to 6 uh, I just don't have a lot of, I think the Seahawks defense is going to make a statement and I, I hope I don't <laughs> eat those words later. I can't escape this feeling. The Seahawks defense is a lot better than people are giving it credit for. Um, so 
we'll find out if they are, as Nathan said, this should be a game that they really hold down the opponent. And that's, that's what I got in my mind, 27 to six. So, okay. Anything else before we wrap up for the night? Okay. Awesome. Patreon.com slash Hawk blogger. Uh, give us a like also go to Evan's timeline, my timeline, get the link to add yourself to the bet about the Seahawks going for it on every fourth down in enemy territory that you're going to match. Uh, so that that's a great way to give up. I think we're already at like 800 bucks to charity every time the Seahawks go for fourth down in enemy territory. And we'll all work together to, to uh, keep track of that. Uh, Evan will be our bookkeeper. So he can't even remember the score he predicted three seconds ago. I can't imagine there being any problems with him keeping track of this over the course of the season. All right. Take care, everybody. Uh, thanks for coming over.